0: This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: Hello and welcome to the stands with Eamon Dunphy. Now, it was announced yesterday that a team of congressmen and women from the United States are coming to London. Richard Neal, chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, a very powerful congressional committee that decides on trade deals, for example, among many other things, is going to be part of that delegation. Concerns about the way the British government is handling the Northern. Protocol with the threats they're making to the EU and, of course, the dangers it represents to the Northern peace process and to the Good Friday Agreement, indeed, are exercising Americans' politicians. And we're joined now from Washington by Niall Stanage. Niall is associate editor of The Hill newspaper, a respected Washington newspaper, and he's their White House columnist. Niall, the American attitude to the Good Friday Agreement and the seriousness with which they take it doesn't really seem to register with the British. And this delegation is coming now because Britain's negotiations with the EU have virtually broken down and Britain's position seems more extreme all the time. Just how much have the Americans invested in the Good Friday Agreement?
1: I think the Good Friday Agreement is regarded here as a a big achievement and one that needs to be Protected. Um, You and I have been critical at times of uh, Bill Clinton, Yemen, but I mean, he clearly played a very important role at that time in ensuring that the Good Friday Agreement was eventually reached. Uh, If I recall, he leaned quite heavily on on the unionists, among others, David Trimble, the unionist leader at that time, to sign up to the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, President Biden, of course, is of a similar generation to former President Clinton. Biden takes a great deal of pride in his Irish heritage. We have other people like, uh, like Richie Neal, um congressman from uh, Massachusetts, who are invested in this. Now, I don't want to create the impression that this is a major issue in American domestic politics, yes. but the Biden administration has a very straightforward view, which is the Good Friday Agreement needs to be protected. There needs to not be a hard border in Ireland. And I think that the British have been, as you say, slow to see that or to realise how deeply held that view is.
0: Yes, and they sent the minister for state for Northern Ireland. This is typical Boris Johnson. He's a Catholic. His name is Conor Burns. He's been in Washington all week. It doesn't look as if he's had much joy. And it seems like a rather crude way of dealing with the matter, sending a junior minister in the first instance it doesn't appear to resonate or register mm. in Britain that if they, for example, ever aspire to a trade deal with the United States, having screwed up Northern Ireland and the Good Friday Agreement, they wouldn't be very favorably regarded.
1: They wouldn't, and that sentiment extends beyond traditional Irish-American Politicians like Richie Neal. For example, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, has been quite adamant on that topic. Pelosi is, has no Irish heritage that I'm aware of, but is an extremely powerful figure. And if she says that something won't happen in Congress without her say so, she has both the votes right now and the tactical uh, savviness to block it. So, you know, I don't really know how the British are. Proposing if or if they're proposing to somehow get around that, but I think they'll be uh, disappointed if that is
0: their hope. Yeah, just in case there are people with lingering hopes that the midterm elections will go unfavorably for the Democrats in terms of control of the House and the Senate, that wouldn't really matter. Richie Neal is still going to be chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. Is that right, or am I uh, wrong?
1: No, you're you're, you're wrong. I, I, that's not the case. The, the chairperson of a house committee is automatically the person in the majority party. Right. So Richie Neal would not be chairman in that
0: instance. So does that, is that a game changer for Northern Ireland? Because it does look at the moment, and we'll come on to it in a moment. The, the unpopularity of Biden's administration is the transfer of power. We assume is going to happen after November. A defining issue in terms of the North?
1: I'm thinking about it as you ask question, Eamon, and I'm not sure that it is, because Republicans, by which I mean American Republicans of course, don't really have a very solid view on the Irish question, for want of a better term. Now you do have people like Donald Trump, who is more hostile to the EU and more uh, favorable to to Brexit kind of sentiments. Yes. But on the other hand, you do have a number of Republican politicians who are uh, Irish-American. There were some, uh, Pete King has now left Congress, but he was a Republican uh, congressman representing a, a district in Long Island who took a very... Um, Irish nationalist view yes. of the whole situation there. So it doesn't break down entirely neatly along party lines.
0: Now, the big story one of the big stories in Washington this week is another half-point rate rise in the bank rate. And it's obviously designed to combat inflation. There, were, there was a new inflation figure as well, Niall, and I believe it's... Not as bad as feared, but not very good. It's over 8%, isn't it?
1: It is, 8.3%, a very small decrease from 8.5% the previous month. And the 8.5% was the highest monthly figure since 1981.
0: And the blame, if you like, is being laid fairly squarely, is it, on Joe Biden and his administration?
1: It is by the general public, certainly. I mean, economists will have a more... uh, what would you say, complicated debate about whether responsibility lies with the Federal Reserve or exactly what the causes are. But if you look at polls, Biden is getting hit very hard on inflation. Inflation is an absolutely critical issue in many voters' minds. And when Biden's approval on that measure in particular is polled, he fares worse than on almost every other topic. I mean, there was a poll last month where uh, I think it was 31% approved of Biden's performance on inflation, 69% disapproved. So that gives you some indication of just how badly he's doing, politically speaking, on that topic.
0: Now, in the Russian invasion of Ukraine in that war, which is really what it is, brutal and barbaric war, which we've all seen the pictures of, Biden appears to, we think, or at least I think, thank God he's there because he appears to have been able to unite the West's response, lead the NATO response, and support Ukraine as much as is possible with, with money, basically, which 40 billion this week, which is a lot of money, 40 billion extra. And you would just have to think, thank God, President Trump isn't there?
1: Sure. I mean, Trump would clearly take a massively different view of this whole conflict for several reasons. One is Trump's peculiar posture toward Russia and toward Vladimir Putin in particular, which has often been rather craven. The other point is that Trump has been sceptical for many years of Uh, NATO, of multilateralism generally, and certainly is temperamentally about the worst person you can imagine in terms of building alliances or anything like that. He had an extraordinarily tense relationship with the then-German Chancellor, Angela Merkel and others during his time in power. So, look, if Trump was in the White House right now, we would be looking at a completely different scenario Uh, I know that people get, I think, frustrated with Biden's apparent lack of vigor at times or his uh, rather uh, slow way of moving on these matters. But to be fair, he has galvanized and held together uh, an extremely large alliance against Putin, against uh, Putin's expectations by all accounts. I mean, it seems like Putin's hope strategically was to divide the West and perhaps isolate the United States from its traditional allies. That has not happened at all. And I think, you know, Biden fairly deserves a significant amount of credit for that.
0: Yes. And the European commitment to NATO and indeed to taking a very different line on Russia is reflected in the fact that Finland is going to apply for membership of NATO, and Sweden is highly likely to do so as well. And they want to join immediately. Mm. This is a sign that what Putin has done has resonated and fundamentally changed European attitudes to the Russian Federation. Could it be said that The United States, the people of the United States, rather than the political establishment, has come to a similar conclusion or any conclusion at all.
1: One of the interesting things about public opinion in the United States on this question, Eamon, is that the American public has been remarkably engaged in and by the war in Ukraine. And that is fairly unusual for a war in which no American troops are in direct combat. Yes. So, you know, there was a, a poll earlier this week, for example, asking Americans whether they thought that Russia was guilty of war crimes. More than 70% said that Russia was guilty. The broad consensus among the American public is that the current US approach to that conflict is either about right or that it should be even tougher than it is. So, it's a kind of fascinating moment because the isolationist tendency that, for example, Donald Trump capitalized on when he first ran for the presidency isn't really showing up here. And to a surprising degree, the American media has maintained a focus on Ukraine and the American public has remained emotionally engaged on Ukraine. Now, well, that could change. I mean, we're clearly in a new phase or a relatively new phase of the war where the Ukrainians have rebuffed Russia from Kiev, but the fighting has moved to eastern Ukraine primarily. Um, that could be a drawn-out phase of the conflict. We'll have to see how the American public reacts to that. But so far, it's been um, uh, somewhat unusual in terms of public attitudes to this conflict in the United States.
0: Now, when it comes to the midterms now, clearly the economy and inflation will be very high on the on the agenda. Is it possible to... I mean, Jay Powell is the chair of the Federal Reserve at the moment. He's the guy, is, is he not, that described the first show of inflation as transitory.
1: He did, famously uh, or infamously, in, we should say. Yeah. Yes,
0: and it, it has hardly been transitory. And it's Biden is taking the hit, how significant will that be when people go to vote in November?
1: It'll be very significant, particularly if, as seems likely, inflation doesn't recede greatly between now and then. Inflation is a huge political issue, not just in terms of what people are asked about in opinion polls, But because of its impact on people's everyday lives, there's no ignoring it. And it is causing difficulty, financial difficulty, for very many people. Now, whether Biden has the levers of power to do anything about it is kind of debatable. The main tool for fighting inflation is interest rates, and that is a tool that uh, Jerome Powell and, and the rest of the Federal Reserve control, but... Biden will still take the blame for it. I think already is uh, taking the blame for it, particularly when it comes to issues like uh, rising food prices, what we call what we would say rising gas prices here, but petrol, yes. um, things like that are are really major, major political problems for the president. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. Now, meanwhile, the Donald mm. has been welcomed back, if he wishes to come back, by Elon Musk to Twitter. Mm. So far, Trump has declined, citing his attempt to get his own version of Twitter, which I, I believe didn't hasn't gone down very well. The, tell us about that possibility of him coming back. And also, we know that he helped J.D. Vance win his primary to be the Republican candidate in November. And I also believe, because you told me, that <laughs> he failed this week to get... Someone else he nominated to win. Is, sure. is that a sign of anything?
1: Well, it, debatable whether that's a sign of anything or not. The one that he failed to get to win was a candidate for uh, governor in Nebraska by the name of Charles Herbster. Mr. Herbster had been facing uh, significant allegations of sexual misconduct, and he lost the Republican primary on Tuesday. Now, that's the first major Trump candidate to lose a Republican primary in this election cycle. Whether that shows any weakening of Trump's hold or whether it's a consequence of the specifics of Herbster's Uh, troubles or the accusations that he faces. uh, You know, that's debatable. I think it could be because of Herbster's particular vulnerabilities as a candidate. Uh, On the Twitter question, I mean, obviously it hinges on Elon Musk's deal to buy Twitter going through in the first place. But Elon Musk has proclaimed himself a free speech absolutist, was explicitly critical of the decision to ban uh, former President Trump in the wake of the January the 6th insurrection. Trump is, is, as you say, claiming that he won't uh, go back. I find that difficult to believe, partly because his own ventures in social media are going so relatively poorly. And also because when he was on Twitter, as we all remember, he had a huge following. And that huge following also enabled him to drive the news to a very considerable Extent. I mean, he was able to tweet things out and have yes, cable news react to them almost instantaneously. So I, if the Musk deal goes through, if Trump is permitted back on Twitter, I have great difficulty in imagining someone who loves attention as much as the Donald does turning aside
0: from that possibility. Taking everything into account now, the unpopularity of the Biden administration and Joe Biden himself because of inflation and also the sort of shift towards, let's call it conservatism, reflected in the Supreme Court opinion that was leaked vis-a-vis abortion. Is Trump still the effective leader of the Republican Party? And just add a question onto that, I couldn't believe I'd read it, but I, I checked and I had. Mm. that there is a state in the United States that wants to use that opinion to ban contraception. Mm. So, Is that true? Uh,
1: which state is that?
0: I think it might be Mississippi.
1: There there may be. I think there was an instance where a, a Republican politician in Mississippi said that he wasn't ruling out using that um, yes. uh, ruling to ban contraception. Um So, firstly, Trump and the Republican Party. Trump is the effective leader of the Republican Party, I think. I don't think there's really any quarrel with that. Even Mitt Romney, who is very critical of Trump and voted to convict him during his impeachments, was pointing out just a week or so ago that if Trump wants the Republican nomination in 2024, he's extremely likely to get it. As to the question of abortion and contraception and things of that nature, The legal argument is that the uh, constitutional right to abortion that has applied for about the last half century is rooted in the idea that the United States Constitution provides a right to privacy and that that right covers a woman's right to terminate her pregnancy, but also covers covers other things like a right to contraception, right to same-sex marriage and so on and so forth. If that goes by the wayside, then that would theoretically open up the territory in which you could ban many of those things. Now, a a ban on contraception, even in Mississippi, would be, I think, difficult to make work politically speaking because A, how would you enforce it? But B, I mean, there is not really a large vocal anti contraception uh, constituency. Here. Yes. Um, the, you know, there, there's a different argument about uh, drugs like uh, Plan B and so on after people fear they may have become pregnant. Yes. But uh, contraception in the sense of condoms or the contraceptive pill, that's a, I think that would be a difficult thing to ban, even in the most conservative states.
0: Now elsewhere, it appears that Trump is under legal Juress, should we say, on a number of fronts, some of them financial, some of them to do with January 6th and the insurrection. How's he faring in all of these cases? Is he playing for time, appealing, and quite prepared to go through the hoops, as he's done all his life really, mm. delay being a huge and useful tactic in the American court system?
1: Yeah, I think he is in many ways. I mean, certainly when it comes to the January 6th Committee in Congress, admittedly not yet a a criminal matter, but nonetheless, he's certainly playing for time there, as are his allies. In terms of the courts more broadly, he's having a, a mixed run in a way. For example, in New York, it is now appearing increasingly unlikely that he will face uh, criminal charges there. At one stage, there was speculation that he might face charges to do with uh, alleged fraud perpetrated on lenders. That seems very unlikely now. And in fact, a couple of prosecutors have resigned uh, in protest at an apparent uh, refusal to press forward with prosecution. On the other hand, in Georgia, there was quite recently a grand jury seated to consider the question of whether he should face criminal charges for his attempt to meddle in the Georgia election after it had been held. You'll remember, because we've yes, spoken indeed. about it before, with phone calls in which he wanted, to get, uh, wanted Georgia officials to cooperate in finding, as he put it, the number of votes that would be required to overturn uh, President Biden's very narrow majority in that state. Uh, So, yeah, grand jury investigating whether that merits criminal charges.
0: And, of course, around him on January the 6th in the period leading up to January the 6th were a group of people who were telling him that he could reverse, and Vice President Mike Pence could reverse the election result, and they could, in fact, stage a coup.
1: Yes, I mean, there was a lot of, very eccentric legal theories. Sorry,
0: I interrupted you. No, no, I, I just wanted to confirm, you know, one of them was New York's former mayor, Rudy Giuliani. And that this group of people were actively trying to stage a coup. And that the U.S. president who attempted to stage that coup and orchestrate that is favored to be president after 2024.
1: Yes, I mean, that is obviously the worry for American democracy, really, which is that uh, Donald Trump sought to uh, overturn that election by any reasonable measure. He was assisted by a number of allies, uh, not just Rudy Giuliani, but a lawyer called John Eastman and others. And that has not, in fact, marginalised Donald Trump to the extent that many people thought it would do um, in the wake of the January 6th insurrection. He remains there. He's actually involving himself not just in the kind of uh, state-level elections or federal elections for major office that we spoke about a few moments ago, but um, also um, in relation to much lower-level positions, which would be pivotal to the conduct of, uh, of elections themselves, yes. and would potentially give him the capacity to uh, to overturn um, those elections. Meanwhile, Eamon, um, would you like some breaking news, which I'm just getting on my phone yeah. as we're recording this? certainly would. Good, because it refers to something that we're talking about a few minutes ago. Elon Musk has just tweeted, as we're speaking, that his Twitter deal is, and I quote, temporarily on hold. Um, which is, he says, pending details supporting a calculation about spam or fake counts and how much they represent on Twitter. But if that deal is temporarily on hold, that would create a bit of a barrier to the Donald's return to tweeting.
0: Every cloud has a silver lining. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, I actually read in the paper this morning that uh, Musk had lost a lot of money, uh, a lot of his, his billions, but he has a lot to lose anyway. That seems like a suitable point to end our conversation with a scoop. (laughs) Um, Thank you very much, Niall. That's Niall Stanich, Associate Editor of The Hill, a very respected Washington newspaper for not being as mad and partisan as many American media outlets seem to be. We're grateful to Niall, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.